Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our new Let's Talk podcast series. I'm Maria, the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator at the National Runaway Safe Line. The National Runaway Safe Line is the federally supported national communication system for runaway and homeless youth in the United States, providing crisis support and resources to over 125,000 youth, families, and communities annually. This November, as we recognize National Runaway Prevention Month, I have the honor of hosting this podcast series where our hope is to elevate the voices of young people as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections that are witnessed by the 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness across the United States each year. In this episode, I'm so excited to introduce you all, Rachel Lichman. Over the past few months, I've had the privilege to work with Rachel and learn from her as she has shared her story and her advocacy to national audiences. Rachel joins us today from Madison, where she is currently a student at the University of Wisconsin, studying sociology and women and gender studies. She's a member of the NRS Youth Advisory Board and a member of the Dane County Youth Action Board. Rachel, I could not be more excited to have you as our guest today. Could you share about how you became involved in youth advocacy? So I'm Rachel, and I am currently a student at UW-Madison. I'm also an artist and a writer. Um, Youth homelessness is really important to me because I experienced it. I ran away from home when I was 18, and I was homeless for three months. And in college, I've just like really struggled with housing insecurity and food insecurity. And I just realized through that experience, there were like not enough services for youth and not enough awareness about the issue. And so I really struggled. And so being able to advocate for homeless youth and advocate for better services has been really important to me so that other youth don't face some of the things that I face. It's incredible that you have transformed your experience into becoming a platform for advocacy and in doing so, bringing first-person perspective to this field. Are you comfortable sharing what led you to leave home? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm comfortable talking about that. All the things that were going on at home kind of like led up to things were super unstable in our household. Like my parents were like always fighting and there was like just like a lot of yelling and stuff like that and I um I think like the way that I like coped with all the things going on in our household was just like being quiet and so that always kind of led to things being like taken out on me but around that time I like started getting sick it was like I was like 12 or 13 and um I think just like the response was like oh you're just like doing this to yourself like this is like like you're just like anxious I remember like my mom would like laugh when I like first brought up symptoms and then like I ended up like losing like a lot of weight and so that just sort of like spiraled into like me getting diagnosed with like an eating disorder even though it was like related to physical health problems and then being institutionalized and then I um, experienced like sexual abuse in that institution and um, after that I just like didn't like talk about like any of the the sources of like extreme tension in my family. I just, I like felt like I, there was like no one I could like talk to about what had happened and the ways I like kind of reacted to that whole situation, um, my family had a problem with. And so I was like institutionalized again. And eventually I just like stopped talking about like my body and like my symptoms. Cause I was like, this is like, I'm just gonna like, you know, get institutionalized again. That sounds incredibly traumatic, and I'm so sorry this was your experience growing up. Your ability to talk about this and advocate from these experiences speaks to your power and your resilience. 
What happened once you left home? So I ran away the day I graduated high school. So that was the uh, first day I was homeless and I was homeless for three months that summer. So I, I ran away from my graduation ceremony and I was with a friend and I had a former middle school teacher who was like aware of some of the things that had been going on in my life because I'd reached back out to her. So I was able to like stay with her for uh, like one and a half days, like two nights. Um, the problem was that she had cat and dog and I'm like super, super allergic. So I couldn't stay at her house. And so that was like, it was really stressful because I, um, I like couldn't breathe and I didn't really know where to go at that point. So I ended up just sort of like couch surfing between like numerous friends and like friends of friends and friends of friends who were strangers um, until I eventually found um, a shelter in the, a youth shelter in the Chicago area. And then um, I worked at like an overnight camp that summer. And so I was, I had some like, I had housing there for like a month and a half. And then I was homeless again before I came to college. Yeah. And then while I was in college, I, um, I w was never homeless again, but there were a lot of times where I was like almost homeless, like over winter break. Um, tried to kick me out of the dorms and it was like only kind of last minute that I was able to work something out. Once you were at college, were you better able to access healthcare? Did you ever receive a diagnosis for the symptoms you experienced throughout your adolescence? At that point, it seemed like I had no pre-existing health issues because I just like didn't have access to diagnosis. So I'd like enrolled in like all these studies and like the only diagnosis I did have was PTSD um, at that point. And so it was like an exercise stress test on like PTSD and the control was like healthy woman. Um, and so I like enrolled as like the PTSD person with like no pre-existing health issues or besides that, right? And then I had to do like an exercise like like study and the guy like noticed, like they like monitored your heart rate and he noticed my heart rate was like extremely high. And he was like, are you sure you don't have any like heart problems? And I was like, no, I don't have any heart problems. <laughs> but then, Late, that led me to like later suspect when I was like having all these health issues I was like maybe it's something wrong with like my heart and, and then um, like maybe it was like almost it was like maybe like nine months after I did that study I was like okay I think something's like um, like wrong and I ended up just like going to the like emergency room and um, I saw I I like saw a cardiologist and that's where I got a diagnosis I, I'm diagnosed with like POTS it's called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and I also have a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so it's it's a the like diagnostic criteria has to do with like cardiovascular stuff, but it's actually um, like a neurological disorder because it has to do with the way like your nervous system, like the the part of your body that actually regulates your blood pressure and your heart rate is your nervous system. So yeah, it has to do with um, like how that, my, my nerves are damaged, those nerves are damaged, so like it can't like regulate um, those functions. I was like, just like wondering, I was like, if they had diagnosed like that condition, like when I was a kid, I mean, I don't know if that would have prevented me from being like institutionalized, but I, I don't know, but uh, I don't know, but it um, it probably would have changed a lot 
I mean, it, it, it might not have, but I think at the very least it could have been like, oh, I could have started getting like treatment earlier and wouldn't be in this like state that I am now. Do you feel like your ability status impacted your experience of homelessness? Um, it majorly impacted my experience being homeless. It's like, first of all, just like leading into it. Like, I feel like, like disability and like mental health and physical health were like some of like the extreme sources of like tension in my family. And so like, just like leading up to it, it was one of the major things. But then also during it, I had no access to healthcare and, and I just felt like until I could really get access to healthcare, like, I feel like I have to just like push through these symptoms and that doesn't really work when you have a chronic illness even if you don't really like know what that chronic illness is because I just like I remember I I like part of my chronic illness is like I have really like difficulty standing but like most of the jobs I could get <laughs> are like service jobs when I can first get jobs and so I'm like standing for like I remember I worked like a 6 45 a.m shift at like like university dining and like I just like wake up and that's like for me when my symptoms are like worse because I've just like gotten out of bed and so like like really dizzy and I just feel like standing trying to like stand there and like work and I just remember like leaning always against the wall because I was like I'm going to pass out like I'm going to pass out and and so it was just like really hard because like having a chronic illness like felt like it like threatened my ability to remain like stably housed and and now these days I feel like like there's so many like I've like have encountered like some services for like homeless youth and like a lot of them are kind of like oriented toward like making sure like youth can be like independent and I feel like when they say independent they mean like you know working and like being able to like support themselves and like that like just doesn't acknowledge the fact that like a lot of youth are dealing like have health issues and like those can like threaten the ability to be independent and like no one's ever really like truly independent do you feel like receiving a diagnosis after all these years has impacted your mental health? Yeah. Yeah, my mental health got a lot better after my diagnosis. Like, I mean, it took a while to like, I just had to like unlearn all of the, cause I, when I have symptoms before, just because I've been told everything was in my head, I was like, this is just in my head. Why can't I just like push through this? But that when I was like, oh, like it's literally like my nerves are damaged like I can't do anything about this except maybe like take my meds right now like it just it changed a lot yeah what runaway and homeless youth services were you able to access during this time do you feel like these services meaningfully supported you um yeah so I um I was able to access a youth shelter um in the Chicago area and I, I do feel that was like really helpful for me before, like I mentioned, I'd been like staying with like a bunch of different people. And so it was like, that was a really anxiety producing experience because some of them I didn't know. I was just like really desperate to find some place where I could stay for more than a few days. Um, so it was really helpful to be at the shelter. Um, I mean, no shelter experience is really like, like, I feel like a good experience being at a shelter, but, um, they did support me and they did help me with getting to college like I remember they helped with like getting me stuff to go to college and so that was really helpful and really nice I was um yeah I was like really happy they supported me in that way um I feel like 
though after that there was like there was pretty much no support um I was like I when I was in college I I remember like maybe like three months or like two months into my first semester of college I did get like a phone call from the shelter and they were like do you have housing now and I was like I mean like yeah I'm living in a dorm right now so I like asked them like okay cool and like that was like kind of like the only follow-up I, I really got it was like do you have housing at this moment I was like yes I do but like I didn't really have any skills at all for like how to figure out my housing like I had a, a dorm that year um, but that was like not the same as like trying to figure out how to like rent an apartment um, and so <laughs> I had no support at that at all and my university would not support me in any sort of way because they just like didn't really want to acknowledge that like I feel like homeless students existed on their campus and so um, that was like a really really stressful experience and I just remember it was like a week before this school year ended that year and I still had no idea where I was going to live um, over the summer and <laughs> then someone told me about this like Facebook group called like it was like it's just this like Facebook group for the Madison area where like people like post um, like housing options and like if they're subletting their apartment and thankfully um, there were like a lot of people subletting their apartments for the summer because of um, just like they leave for the summer and then like come back to for the school year and so literally like a week before the, the school year ended I was just like I was like I I gonna jump on one of these like offers and like see what happens and it was still like really hard because like I needed like a co-signer and I didn't have a co-signer and so I was able to get a friend to like co-sign on that first apartment um, but that was I I just had no idea what I was doing and it ended up working out but I just yeah. and I and I do feel like even when I had housing then and even when I was able to like get an apartment after that um, I never really stopped feeling housing insecure. Rachel, thank you again for having this conversation with me. I feel like we've touched on so many important topics and I just have one last question for you. That's, what message do you feel is important for the public to know or understand about young people who have run away from home or have experienced homelessness? Yeah, um, so I just feel like there have been like so many times when I've like interacted with different systems and the, the like either very explicit or implicit messaging has just been like that I messed up in some sort of way or I'm a problem in some sort of way or like that there just must be like something inherently wrong about me for me to be in this situation and I so I guess my message is that like homeless youth aren't a problem and like people who like young people who've experienced hard things just aren't a problem it's systems that are a problem and they like in circumstances that are a problem that fail youth um, and I I just like I deeply wish like people would just stop treating um, like homeless youth like they don't have any skills or like they're just like inherently messed up or like they just don't know what they're doing because we're not messed up it's systems that are messed up um, and yeah so I just like I would really hope that like there are more systems and services that can like treat youth um, like people. Um, yeah. Rachel, thank you again for joining us today. And thank you to everyone who has partnered with us this National Runaway Prevention Month. 
Thank you to everyone who is committed to becoming more aware of the youth homelessness crisis. Thank you to all the young people who share their expertise and speak truth to power. And of course, thank you to everyone who has joined us today for our fifth episode of our Let's Talk podcast series. Each Tuesday in November, we will publish a new episode where young people lead important conversations about the issues at the intersections of youth homelessness and share their stories. I'm Maria and let's talk soon.